For the sermon portion of our service this morning, several people in our congregation have found readings they felt appropriate for this weekend's memories. And the first one I thought would be the most appropriate, especially for Unitarians who like to pick everything to pieces and decide exactly how scientifically it originally lined up and where it's going to, would be a history of Memorial Day, which Franklin Adams found was uh, spoken of in Unitarian Church and would like to share with us this morning. Historically, there's a good deal of debate about when the first Memorial Day actually began. There's a small town in uh, the geographical center of the state of Pennsylvania named Bowlesburg. And thereupon, they have a memorial from the First World War, which consists of a lovely setting and a museum. And they claim loudly and almost profanely, when they get into arguments about this, that that was the first Memorial Day back in the 1920s. Now, there's another town in southern New York, which is in competition for that same designation. And the arguments between people when they happen to visit together, whether they're from Bowlesburg or New York, are substantial in making claim to this. I've done a little research, and this is taken from a, <clears throat> a sermon that was delivered by Merrill E. Milham of the University, Unitarian Universalist Fellowship of Har, Harford County. And I don't even know where that is. I haven't been able to find Harford County on the map. But at any rate, <clears throat> it consists of three readings, and I'm going to read just the one which is the first Memorial Day, which was written by David W. Blight. And perhaps we can come closer to setting some final uh, bit of the argument as to where the actual Memorial Day originated. During the final year of the Civil War, the Confederate command in Charleston, South Carolina, had converted the Planters Race Course horse racing track into a prison. Union soldiers were kept in terrible conditions in the interior of the track without tents or other coverings. At least 257 died from exposure and disease and were hastily buried without coffins in unmarked graves behind the former judge's stand. After the fall of the city, Charleston's blacks, many of whom had whisked witnessed the sufferings at the horse track prison, insisted on a proper burial of the Union dead. The symbolic power of the planter aristocracy's race course, where they had displayed their wealth, leisure, and influence, was not lost on the freed people. Blacks planned a May Day ceremony that a New York Tribune correspondent called 
a procession of friends and mourners as South Carolina and the United States never before saw. The first Decoration Day, as this event became known, Decoration Day, where they plant flags in honor of those that died. As it came to be recognized in some circles in the North, involved an estimated 10,000 people, most of them black former slaves. At 9 o'clock in the morning of May 1st, the procession to the special cemetery began as 3,000 black school children, newly freed and enrolled in Freeman schools, marched around the race course, each with an armload of roses and singing John Brown's Body. The children were followed by 300 black women, representing the Patriotic Association, a group organized to distribute clothing and other goods among the freed people. The women carried baskets of flowers, wreaths, and crosses to the burial ground. The Mutual Aid Society, a benevolent association of black men, next marched in cadence around the track and into the cemetery, followed by large crowds of white and black citizens. All dropped their spring blossoms on the graves in a scene recorded by a newspaper correspondent. When all had left, the holy mounds, the tops, the sides, and the spaces between them were a mass of flowers. Not a speck of earth could be seen, and as the breeze wafted the sweet perfumes from them, outside and beyond, there were few eyes among those who knew the meaning of the ceremony that were not dim with tears of joy. While the adults marched around the graves, the children were gathered in a nearby grove where they sang, America will rally around the flag and the star-spangled banner. The official dedication ceremony was conducted by the ministers of all the black churches in Charleston with prayers, the reading of biblical passages, and the singing of spirituals. Black Charlestonians gave birth to an American tradition, in so doing, declared the meaning of the war in the most public way possible, by their labor, their words, their songs, their solemn parade of roses, lilacs, and the marching feet on the old planter's race course. After the dedication, the crowds gathered at the race course grandstand to hear some 30 speeches by union officers, local black ministers, and abolitionist missionaries. Picnics ensued around the grounds, and in the afternoon, a full brigade of union infantry, including the 54th Massachusetts and 35th and 104th U.S. colored troops, marched in double column around the markers' graves 
and held a drill on the infield of the race course. The war was over, and Memorial Day had been founded by African Americans newly freed, a ritual of remembrance and consecration. But the struggle to own the meaning of Memorial Day in particular and of Civil War memory in general had only begun. Before he died, my great-great-grandfather, who had been in South Carolina about this time, and there's no way I can prove this, no way, but the family history tells me that he was there during this time, may have been a witness to this. In his memory, I thank you for this opportunity. Thank you, The young, dead soldiers do not speak. Nevertheless, they are heard in the still houses. Who has not heard them? They have a silence that speaks for them at night and when the clock counts. They say, we were young, we have died, remember us. They say, we have done what we could, but until it is finished, it is not done. They say we have given our lives, but until it is finished, no one can know what our lives gave. They say our debts are not ours. They are yours. They will mean what you make them. They say whether our lives and our deaths were for peace and a new hope or for nothing, we cannot say. It is you who must say this. They say... We leave you our deaths. Give them their meaning. We were young, they say. We have died. Remember us.
The poem is I Have a Rendezvous with Death by Alan Seeger. Alan Seeger died in the First World War. He actually died one year in 1916, one year before the United States joined. He was fighting with the French Foreign Legion against the Germans, and clearly he had a premonition of his death. Incidentally, he was the, the uncle of, of the folk singer Pete Seeger. I have a rendezvous with death at some disputed barricade. When spring comes back with rustling shade and apple blossoms fill the air. I have a rendezvous with death when spring, spring bring, brings back blue days and fair. It may be he shall take my hand and lead me into his dark land and close my eyes and quench my breath. I have a rendezvous with death. On some scarred slope of battered hill, when spring comes round again this year and the first nut of flowers appear, God knows twere better to be deep, pillowed in silk and scented down, where love throbs out in blissful sleep, a pulse nigh to pulse and breath to breath, where hushed awakenings are dear, but I've a rendezvous with death. At, month, at midnight in some flaming town, when spring trips north again this year, I, and I, to my pledged word, am true. I, sh I shall not fail that rendezvous. I found um, many pearls of wisdom in Ralph Waldo Emerson's uh, sermon slash essay on war. Um, here's just a brief excerpt from it. He was musing about the meaning of heroism and how difficult it would be to convince people that heroism could be achieved in some other way than, than warfare. If peace is to be maintained, it must be by brave men who have come up to the same height as the hero, namely the will to carry their life in their hands and stake it at any instant for their principle, but who have gone one step beyond the hero and will not seek another man's life. Men who have, by their intellectual insight, or else by their moral elevation, attained such a perception of their own intrinsic worth that they do not think pro property or their body a sufficient good to be saved by such dereliction of principle as treating a man like a sheep. anyone else who would like to speak about Memorial Day, either with a memory or a poem, Matthew. Matthew. 
in a nation as rich and diverse as ours, let us all remember those who have fallen in our own unique way. Because if it wasn't for these soldiers giving their lives, then we wouldn't know what freedom and democracy is. So let us all remember those who have been laid to rest and those who served on this Memorial Day. A quote by Charles M. Provence. It is the soldier, not the reporter, who has given us freedom of the press. It is the soldier, not the poet, who has given us freedom of speech. It is the soldier, not the campus organizer, who has given us the freedom to demonstrate. It is the soldier who salutes the flag, who serves beneath the flag, and whose coffin is draped by the flag, who allows the protester to burn the flag. Heroism is latent in every human soul. However humble or unknown, soldiers have renounced what are accounted pleasures and cheerfully undertaken all the self-denials, privations, toils, dangers, sufferings, sicknesses, mutilations, lifelong hurts and losses, death itself, for some great good, dimly seen, but dearly held, by Joshua Lawrence Chamberlain. Our last two quotes this morning will come from our Commanders-in-Chief again, as we started it with George Washington. The first is by Benjamin Harrison. I have never been able to think of the day as one of mourning. I have never quite been able to feel that half-masted flags were appropriate on Decoration Day. I have rather felt that the flag should be at the peak, because those whose dying we commemorate rejoiced in seeing it where their valor placed it. We honor them in a joyous, thankful, triumphant commemoration of what they did. And finally... Abraham Lincoln from the Lincoln's Gettysburg Address, which took place in commemorating one of the great battlefields of the Civil War into a cemetery. We are met on a great battlefield of that war. We have come to dedicate a portion of that field as a final resting place for those who here gave their lives that that nation might live. It is altogether fitting and proper that we should do this. But in a larger sense, we cannot dedicate, we cannot consecrate, we cannot 
hallow this ground. The brave men, living and dead, who struggled here have consecrated it, far above our poor power to add or detract. The world will little note nor long remember what we say here, but it can never forget what they did here. It is for us, the living, rather to be dedicated here to the unfinished work which they who fought here have thus far so nobly advanced. It is rather for us to be here dedicated to the great task remaining before us that from these honored dead we take increased devotion to that cause for which they gave the last full measure of devotion. That we here highly resolve that these dead shall not have died in vain, that this nation under God shall have a new birth of freedom, and that that government of the people, by the people, for the people, shall not perish from the earth.